Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so grateful to share each Saturday morning with you all and for you to tell your friends and your family. It warms my heart seeing the weekend warriors during the week in my office who've waited months to come see me. I'm grateful for Steve Paulette, Coach Dave Miller for getting me started, the great Mike Thompson for putting us together. Ten years doing this. I still don't have any idea what I'm doing, but I must be doing something right because so many of you listen, and I really appreciate it. And Kelvin, if your shoulder hurts, at 8.30, we'll probably open up the, uh, the clinic. Yes! Uh, but oh, hang in there. Yes. My guest at 8.15, I'm so excited to talk to him, is a good friend of mine, John McAtee. Because as an orthopedic surgeon, we need John McAtee to make braces for patients. Patients who've lost a limb because of out-of-control diabetes causing circulation problems and needing a below-the-knee amputation, well, someone has to make that brace, and they got to make that brace work perfectly. John McAtee is that person. But now Weekend Warriors come and see John McAtee in Ventura, Channel Islands. Prosthetics and Orthotics is the name of his company. But when the Weekend Warrior says, I still want to run a marathon, even though I've lost my leg due to a trauma, due to gangrene, a congenital reason, Are you crazy? You should be happy you're just walking around. No, I want to run the marathon. This is 2020. Make me a brace that lets me still be an athlete. It's crazy, but he does it. His shop allows all the guys working for him, who I know listen to the show. So it's a big shout out to you guys. Each of them have their little workspace in this big structure, customizing a brace for each and every patient just like I have to customize your surgery each and every patient. And it made me think all week, my, the world of art, the world of sports, and my world of surgery, customizing. Where do we see this beautiful life of customizing in all of these worlds? To some degree, it's a metaphor for our life. Each of us must customize, customize our own lives with the gifts we've been given. Life is not about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself with the cards you've been dealt with. So where in art in my lifetime did I see the greatest customizer? Well, Steve Paulette, play the theme of Batman. I was born in 1957 and in 1966, this TV show came about. I could, couldn't wait, whatever night it was during the week, to get home, to sit in front of the TV and watch Adam West, Burt Ward, driving around out of the Batcave in their Batmobile. 
it was the most incredible car I've ever seen. And it was one of a kind. It was customized because of the genius of George Barris. Let's listen to the man who's the best who ever did it in the world of customizing cars, George Barris. Let's go to number one. My name is George Barris, and I'm here with probably the world's most famous automobile. Without a doubt, still number one after many, many decades, the famous television 1966 Batmobile. I'm proud to say that I was the designer, original builder of this automobile for a great television show with Dozier at 20th Century Fox called Batman. He had only three weeks notice to build this car that became the most famous car ever built. Number two. We had three weeks. When Dozier came to me with Bob Kane and Adam West, they said, what can you give us for the 20th century in 1966? And with Dozier's concept of Batman with the pow and the bang and the wow, I had a bing a car that would also go with the bings and the bangs and the same thing. We had to have rocket tubes. We had to have gas knobs. We had to have seat injectors. Also, to catch the Joker. We threw some oil out there so he would skid out. To catch the Briddler, we throw some nails out so it would puncture his tires. Just to give you an idea of the crime-fighting implements that we had in the 60s compared to now in the year 2000. Bob Kane and he spells his name K-A-N-E, born in 1915. Abraham Clapper, my father, also born in 1915. Bob Kane went to DeWitt Clinton High School in New York. So did my father. My father didn't even know in a homeroom he was sitting next to the man who would create Batman. It wasn't until later in life my mother, the nurse, actually took care of Bob Kane at St. Joseph's Hospital, where I was born in Far Rockaway. Talk about how things all connect is unbelievable. But Bob Kane drew for Batman a Batmobile. He basically took a fancy car and put bat signs on it. He didn't do what George Barris did, making the car one of the characters of the show. Let's go to three. Bob Kane had a Batman car way back in the 40s when he created the comic strip with a bat face cut out on the front of a Lincoln Zephyr. I said, I want to incorporate the bat features into the car, not just a plaque stuck onto it. So I made the, the ears into the fenders. I made the lights become the headlights. I made the nose become the chain slicer. The grill extended out and it became part of the front end. Then from there, it flowed on back where I had the 15 foot bat fin fingers in the back. Mm. John McAtee's making braces for weekend warriors to be athletic, to run the marathon. Well, guess what? George Barris locked the doors of the Batmobile so that Batman and Robin couldn't open the door. They had to jump over the door. He knew that would have an effect of athleticism to go fight crime. What a visionary he was. Number four. The double bubble we had for both Adam and Burt Ward. I locked the doors shut and I made Bert and Adam both jump over the doors and into the fenders so that they get inside the car. Just to give you an idea of something, again, different. Made them very athletic. That means they were really the crime fighters. We had to incorporate the injector seats so that if somebody went to steal the car, 
they had the wrong key, the wrong word, and then they would push the wrong buttons, and we would just shoot them right out of the car. As a little kid watching that show, it was like an F-16 fighter jet. Remember that flame in the back of the car? Just like the fighter jets. They don't have a fighter jet in 1966. He wants it to look like a fighter jet. How did George Barris do it? Oh my God, listen to this. This is my favorite, number five. Of course, we elevated them with cables. Everything had to work because we didn't have the electronics and the computers and the special effects that give you illusion on the screens like you do today. We had to make them actually operate that when you see the smoke, it was smoke. You seen the burner coming out of the back? Well, we didn't have the big force, great flames. We used kerosene, an igniter, and a fan to blow out the exhaust flames. <laughs> George Barris, you're incredible. Who are you, George Barris? Where do you come from? He's three years old, his mother dies, and his father can't handle him and his brother. So he sends him from Chicago to live with an uncle who owned a Greek restaurant. They were Greek immigrants. That's where his start came in, Roseville, California. I don't even know where, I think I know where Barstow is, but I don't even know where Roseville is. But that's where he grew up. Listen to the beginning of how Cupid shot George Barris in the heart and made him the greatest car customizer ever. Number six. I completed my first custom, which was a 1925 hand-me-down Buick from my parents. And I was able to do all the different customizing events, putting doorknobs in the grill and, and uh, foxtails and hubcaps and, uh, in fact, uh, old household paint from, the, from a hardware store. But when I drove into school, it was kind of a very unique feeling because this is the first time that anybody in our classes or even the school board was able to see a car customized. That means changed from what it was stock to what I created from that car. And number seven. And of course doing everything by hand and through my mind at 13 years old of what I liked, what I enjoyed. And the big feeling extended through the kids that were at school because when they saw what I did, they said, wow. Look what Barris did to that old Buick. He made it into a new Buick or a custom Buick. So these are one of the thrills that I had that made me feel that this is the road that I wanted to take with any kind of wheels for the rest of my life. And he did, and he did very well until one day he lost everything. 1957, there's a fire. He's ready to quit. But he doesn't because of his wife, Shirley. Number eight. 1957, and I got a phone call from a, one of the police department guys who worked for me. He said, George, your building is burning. Now, Shirley and I, we went ahead and we thought there was a joke called back to the police department. They said, yes, George, your building is burning. So Shirley and I run down there and of course it was burning. We lost 15 cars. Archie Moore, Jane Mansfield, President Richfield. My whole life was there. Number nine. And I said, I quit, Shirley. I'm not going to go through this anymore. We lost everything except it stopped. The fire stopped at one little building. 
that I had one car in it, and that was the Alicart. Shirley said, you're gonna stay. The Alicart was owned by Richard Peters from Fresno, an Armenian boy. And he said, George, you're gonna stay. I said, okay, we'll finish the car. And number 10. Now these Armenians every day drove 250 miles to help me work on the a la carte, to finish the a la carte. And lo and behold, we won number one Grand National Roadster in history that won that show. Mm. Number 12. Give me what they have. Uh, in our days, we had no tools. We had hacksaws, cutting scissors, and to create designs, it was not through a computer. It would to photograph the car, take your scissors and cut it out. In fact, that's the way I customized the, the Munster coach. And now number 13. I, cut, I photographed the 1925 Model T, and then I took the scissors and cut it and cut it into three sections so I can make a six-door Model T. And from there, I went ahead and created T fenders that go off to the side, a cabinet in the center for Al Lewis, a piggyback in the back for Butch Patrick. All of that does was done through scissors and photographs. Today, you take that photograph and you put it into the computer and you go in different directions and you can stretch it, you can build it up, you can add parts, you can do all of that, which is what my son and my grandson does for me now. Mm. He lost it all, but he hung in there because of what his heart loved to do. And all those years later, he lived to be 89 years old. He died in 2015. But at an auction, he's in his mid-80s. You want to hear how excited it is of a life when you follow what your heart says you should do, when you find that gift that God gave you? He's at the auction selling the Batmobile. This is a guy who lost everything in 1957. He's about to sell the Batmobile for $4.2 million. Let's go to number 16 at the auction. So I had the Batmobile do the same. Power, we had rocket tubes come out of the rocket. Out of the back end come chain slicers. Out of the front came oil squirters. That means I made the Batmobile become a star. And that's why it's so important today is the first car that became a star. And finally, here he is at the final hammer. A man who lost it all, who hung in there and got to change the world. Number 18. Ladies and gentlemen, I sold the Batmobile for $4,250,000. Coming up next, I cannot wait to talk to my guest who knows a lot about customizing things in life. In his world of orthopedic surgery and making braces, you heard about George Barris, you heard about Urban Meyer and coaching. That's the key to life. Customize your life. Can't wait to talk to the great John McAtee. Coming up next here on the Weekend Warrior Show on 710 ESPN. 
You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. Ah, I love it. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Un giorno al mare è meglio che un giorno in mont- a lavorare. Ah, <laughs> I love it. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Bring my friend, I said you called Dr. Robert. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I'm so excited to talk to my next guest. He's a good friend of mine. I see him every Sunday when I go surfing, and I'm just so proud to call him a friend, the great John McAtee. John, thanks so much for being with us and missing a surf session to do the show with us today. Yes, good morning, Dr. Clapper. (laughs) I want the world to know who you are because I'm so proud of you, and teach us. How do you decide I can be a chef, I can be an accountant, I can do anything I want with my life, and you choose to go into the making brace business, prosthetics and orthotics. Tell us how that happened to you. Let's see. I was uh, considering uh, medical school. That was my idea in, in regards to going to getting a bachelor's of science and biology. Mm-hmm. Um, which I did, applied to medical school, didn't get in my first year. So I had a year to kill, you know, and uh, trying to think, what, what do I want to do? And I was working over at UCLA in research, uh, just helping somebody else's research. And my little cubby, my little office was right across the hall from UCLA's prosthetics orthotics school. And mm. I thought, oh, interesting, I, I, I've got a brother who was born a prosthesis his whole life and never thought that there was a school to actually learn how to do this. So I applied thinking, you know, I want to keep my mind sharp. Uh, I applied to medical school, and, and uh, so uh, just to kind of kill time was my in- initial idea. Got into the program. Uh, within the first week, we're making a below-the-knee prosthesis for somebody, and I was hooked. Wow. You know, my, my dad's an orthopedist, as you know, and I went home. I said, Dad, you know, I am. Uh, I really enjoy this field. I think this is for me, and, and he was very happy for me as especially since he, he saw how medicine was going. He was, he was used to the little mm-hmm. different than it is now, as you know. Right, right. So, uh, you know, got into school, uh, just loved it, and, and the rest is history. You know, when Cupid shoots you in the chest with an arrow, and this is what it is that you find makes you purr like a cat, that's a beautiful thing in life. I don't care whether you're working in a lumber yard or you want to build spaceships. When you get shot in the heart and you go, this is what I was built for, it sounds like George Barris. Let's do this. Let's play number seven, Steve Paulette. And, of course, doing everything by hand and through my mind at 13 years old of what I liked, what I enjoyed. And the big feeling extended through the kids that were at school because when they saw what I did, they said, wow. Look what Barris did to that old Buick. He made it into a new Buick or a custom Buick. So these are one of the thrills that I had that made me feel that this is the road that I wanted to take with any kind of wheels for the rest of my life. It's such a beautiful story to hear that you found your calling in life. Tell us a little bit of, teach the listener, what's the difference between a prosthetic and an orthotic? A prosthesis, they are missing something. So I just do arms and legs, but there's eyes, there's ears, things like that. Those are artists. 
so they're missing something that's being replaced. You do, uh, you know, uh, the hips. Mm-hmm. So I have patients say, I have a prosthesis, and then they point inside their hip. I said, yeah, no, I don't not quite do that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and so an orthotic is really they have the limb or you know, what something is weak in their body, and so you're supporting it, such as neck braces, back braces, uh, mm-hmm. long leg braces for uh, polio victims. Mm-hmm. So uh, people talk about, oh, I have an orthotic. Well, I know they're talking about their foot. Mm-hmm. That would be a foot orthotic or a foot orthosis. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of explain it? Yes, it does. The pressure and the beauty of doing this for 40 years, John McAtee, is you no longer are just being happy that you can have that child with polio walk again. You're no longer just happy when a, when a person with gangrene or diabetes loses their leg and now has an amputation and is just happy to walk again. You now have this whole idea of, I don't want to just walk again. I want to run the marathon. I want to be athletic. And you know that the materials themselves, they're not built for that. So you're part, a very big part, of this revolution of demand to go further with your field and you're a big part of that revolution so teach us teach us about making a brace for a below the knee amputation that you can run the marathon with the cheetah the carbon fiber blade yes the the i guess the the primary um uh um revolution idea that came through is really the gel liners which allow people to put lots of weight on their on their limb, especially in running. So there's different uh, gel inserts out there that came to fruition years and years ago that mm-hmm. have uh, allowed the runner to basically run a marathon or, well, I had a patient who ran 5 and 10Ks, and what, how he described it was, uh, usually I would finish my race and it would take me a week or two to recuperate. With this gel insert, I now can go dancing the same night. So it's, it's a six to nine millimeter thick gel. It can be urethane, uh, silicone, uh, copolymer, different types of, of gel materials. And it's, it's a socket to skin interface. So they, they wear it right over their residual limb mm. and, and then uh, slip into the hard socket uh, of the prosthesis and allows them to walk a lot more comfortable uh, and then these runners, these marathon runners uh, or, or sprinters, you know, they, it's just amazing that in this day and age, there's a bilateral, uh, both sides, right and left, below the knee amputee by the name of Brian Reynolds. And he ran the marathon in three hours, three minutes and 22 seconds. Oh. I mean, I, I can't do that in, in my sleep. Wow. So, and he's hoping to beat three minutes. I mean, sorry, that was very fast. Uh, three hours, the next uh, marathon that he runs. Mm. There's a rumor that it all got started with the gel inserts that a woman's breast implant fell off and went into her prosthetic. Is that true? I haven't heard that. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Tell us about the, you know, there's an operation that I do when a person has arthritis in their shoulder and they can't use their arm at all. But in addition, they have lost their rotator cuff. So there's no cables anymore that help move the arm. And 
they, they're bone on bone. And it was a French surgeon who came up with the crazy idea of a reverse, a reverse shoulder replacement. Whereas a surgeon, I make the socket into a metal sphere oh. and I make the ball into a socket. You rever reverse it. It's like Pablo Picasso on LSD. It's like yeah. the craziest idea. That must be the same feeling that you get all these years looking at how the ankle works and how it relates to the 26 bones that make your foot to now make a single boomerang carbon fiber blade as the foot and ankle. What was that like the very first time you saw and actually made this prosthesis so you can run the marathon? Well, you know, you, you, when people think of things and, and you look at it and you say, God, why didn't I think of that? It's so <laughs> So Van Phillips came up with this idea back in the 80s uh, because he was a below-the-knee amputee, lost it in a boat accident, and he was also an engineer, engineer mind. Uh, at the time, I think he was going to school for, for something to do in, with uh, movies and things like that. But then he got into bioengineering and uh, because he wanted to make a prosthesis in which he could be more active, because he was so active. Hmm. And so we tried different materials <clears throat> and came up with carbon graphite because of its ability to spring and spring back, you know, to hold that energy and, and, and you know, um, give back that energy as, as hmm. it's running. And so it was very exciting. My, my active amputees... Uh, baseball players, runners, basketball players, they were very excited about it, and it made a world of difference on their ability to run faster and also had some, a little more shock absorption in it. So, yes, it was, it was very exciting to see this. Before I let you go, one of the most fascinating things you taught me when I visited you in your shop was that part of designing custom designing this brace for the athletic weekend warrior amputee is that it actually has to be longer than normal because it needs to take into account the stride of running. So not only does it look ridiculous and not look like a foot and ankle, but you actually have to violate your basic principle, which is measure twice, cut once, and get the leg lengths to be just right. Why does it have to be longer and take us through that. How do you calculate the length it's supposed to be? Well, there, there, we have like a bench alignment that we'll start with, and then we'll watch the patient run. And it, it all depends, you know, if, they, if they're compressing that foot three inches while they're running, we, then, then when they're just resting, it's three inches longer. Mm. Now, that's, that's an extreme case. Somebody weighs a lot. Uh, and, and so, but usually it's about inch and a half to two inches longer. So it's not a very good walking leg. Uh, hmm. But running, it smooths out their, their, um, their run. It, the, the pelvis isn't um, you know, higher on one side when they're hitting the, the, uh, the ground. And uh, it, it requires less energy to walk, or to run, hmm. I'm sorry. You know, the circumstances of life, John McAtee, Thank God you did not get into medical school. Yeah, you would have been a hell of a doctor. But because that forced you to be exposed to this world, all the people over these four decades you've helped has been far greater, in my opinion, 
than anything you would have done in a doctor's office. So we are very lucky that that circumstance took place and we're all lucky. You truly are one of the folks who make this world a better place. Thanks so much for getting up early to be with us and I can't wait to see you in the ocean. Very good, thanks Dr. Clapper. What a pleasure. All right, have a good day, God bless you. All right, Warriors, the clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Coming up next, is it your shoulder? Is it your knee? Is it your hip? And don't forget, I got to tell you what you can do that I learned from golfer Lee Trevino to make the greatest chicken cutlet sandwich you've ever had. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Roberto Claperio, a fish tacologist. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I know the ins and outs of a fish taco. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And we've been getting calls about upside-down pineapple muffins. There's two that I love. One's on the west side, the Magnolia Bakery. They make a fantastic upside-down pineapple cupcake. And my favorite pineapple and walnut muffin is from Good Time Donuts up in Ventura. So there's your answer. I think it was Scott. Go get them. All right, let's take some calls. The clinic's open. The number's 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to James in L.A. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Hi, Dr. Clapper. Um, How are you, James? How old are you? What do you do for a living? I'm good. Um, I'm 65 years old, and I'm a manager for an aerospace firm. Nice. What did your father do for a living? Actually, my father was a house painter. What? (laughs) So you knew at an early age there's no way in hell I'm doing that for a living. <laughs> My father would come home smelling like paint thinner every day. <laughs> Did he schlep you to work with him occasionally? Absolutely. I, I was the official. I was the official window cleaner. I I scraped paint off of windows. That was my job as a young man. Wow, I just love it. There's nothing cooler that relates to me, at least, than when I hear about a father taking their son to work you know so there you are painting a house with your father and the house that's the 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 client comes out did your dad introduce you as his little helper how did your dad introduce you to the guy who owned the house actually it's funny because he always introduced me as his assistant this is my assistant here who is also my son so Didn't your didn't your heart purr like a cat when he did that? Actually, it did. I you know I couldn't go every day, obviously, but uh, right. during during the summer months and sometimes on the weekend we would go. I must tell you, Doctor Clapper, I really didn't enjoy scraping those windows. That didn't matter. It didn't matter. No, it just, was really great. It was great. just to be there with your dad, man. That that's special. And if ever you're in a down place in your life, just close your eyes and just think about how much your dad must have been so proud that his son was helping him on the job. It must have made yeah. him very proud. Good for you. Yeah, yes. And you, where'd you grow up? 
I actually grew up in Inglewood. Oh, nice. Did you go to Inglewood High School? No, actually, I went to Catholic High School. I went to Catholic High School, Unipro Seri in Gardena. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. All right, so you had a ruler slapped across your wrist by the nuns, I assume. I had 12 years of Catholic <laughs> education. So, okay. I can and tell you this. I, I never met you, James, but I bet you you have the neatest handwriting of anybody I'll ever meet. <laughs> yes, me and my wife. We both <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. There's Absolutely. something about that handwriting. I went to yeshiva growing up, and we had to, before we could write Hebrew on a piece of paper, we had to write the two Hebrew letters for God, Bez, which is B, and H, or Hey, which meant Baruch Hashem. You had to say something to God, if you will, before you could write on that paper. All right, that's how I grew up. That's what they made me do. It was a terrible habit. Ninth grade, I finally ejector seat, get the hell out of yeshiva, and now, thank God, I'm at the public high school, even though it was a crappy public high school, but I'm in the public high school in New York. And sitting next to me in homeroom is a kid who was tortured going to Catholic school his whole life, and he takes out a piece of paper, and on the top of the paper, before he writes on it, he puts a cross on the top of the piece of paper. And I'm looking at him going, this is a franchise. <laughs> It's so crazy, but here you are. How can I help you? What you do to yourself? Okay, so this is the uh, this is what happened um, during the first week of the COVID. I had my grandson by, and we were trying to figure out things to do. So my wife mm. put on some music, and we were dancing. So anyway, to make a long story short, uh, we have hardwood floors. I had my socks on, and I slipped and fell backwards and landed on um, my right elbow, my right cheek, and in the process, totally stretched out that whole right leg. Mm. Yeah. So I went to my doctor. They got me x-rays and then started me on some therapy. Um, then uh, about uh, two weeks ago, I finally I finally got them to give me an MRI. I got the results of the MRI that I have a torn hamstring and mm -hmm. I have a pinched nerve in my butt. But the main thing is, doctor, is that this thing is not healing at all. And when I'm sitting at my desk, I'll get a shooting pain that radiates from my tailbone all the way down the back of my leg and ends at my knee. And then at, at, the, at the knee, I have this excruciating pain that just pops hmm. up every now and then. Hmm. Okay. So you're an aerospace person. All right. Let me give you a clapper vision. You listen to the show. You know what clapper vision is? Absolutely. All right. That feeling that you have way down your leg is a lamp in your living room and the light bulb is flickering. You now need to make a diagnosis of why that light bulb is flickering. The first thing you say to yourself is, maybe there's something the matter with my knee. Maybe there's something the matter with my leg. So what do you do? You go and you see if the light bulb somehow is loose from the socket. And you take those fingers and you twist the light bulb and guess what? It ain't loose, but that damn light bulb is still flickering. So that's not the diagnosis. There's nothing the matter with your knee or your leg. You now look at the shaft of the reading lamp. Did it break? Did it snap? Did it get rusty? Did it corrode the wiring that's in the lamp? Nope. You just bought this lamp. It's not corroded. There's no crack in it. Nothing wrong with the wire in the shaft of the lamp. You now look and see 
did the plug pull out of the wall? Maybe there's there's the problem that the electricity can't get through the plug and that's why the light is flickering. Guess what? The plug is just fine in the wall. The discs, where the nerve exits from your spinal cord, yes, you're 65, you're gonna have some stenosis, some degenerative changes, you'll have some bone spurs, the discs are pretty much dried out at this age, so you're not going to be dealing with a big herniated disc, even though you'll see abnormalities in the disc. But your problem is someone stepped on the cord itself that goes to the lamp, and they sliced, scratched, stretched, whatever you want to call it, the cord itself. So it's not the plug in the wall. It ain't the light bulb. And it's not the light itself, it's in the wiring from the wall to the lamp itself. That is the location of the sciatic nerve, which lives. If I were to take the skin off the back of your leg, the first thing I'd be hitting is those hamstring muscles. So the energy when you fell went through your skin and did damage to the very first thing it sees, which is the muscle itself. At 65 years old, you ain't having surgery on your hamstring. It would be like sewing up a Boston cream pie. No way, Jose, you're not having that done. It will ultimately heal on its own. But what you did was actually crack and bruise that wiring that is exiting from the wall. It's filled with hematoma. It's filled with injury. And that is something that is going to get better it can be moved along with the right kind of physical therapy where they can do ultrasound, wearing those uh, Lycra basketball shorts or Spanx, where you can do deep massage with a foam roller, um, you know, and, and toys that you don't have at home, ultrasound, electrical stimulation. But in my opinion, doing this for 31 years, the greatest thing you can do to get you to get better and it, COVID makes it difficult, but I need you to get access to an indoor heated pool. Wait, you live in Inglewood still? No, actually, I live in Baldwin Hills. Perfect. So you know where Culver City is, right? Absolutely. The lady that I wrote the book with, the great Lindy Yui, it's called Heal Your Hips. You should get a copy of that book. But she and I wrote that book. She has a pool that's 92 degrees. It's, it's heated. It's indoors. And they do covid precautions so she's open you figure out how to get your doctor to give you a prescription to go to her place it's called complete pt it ain't going to be in a week or two but i uh -huh. promise you you give this a month six weeks the, the the fact that you're in the water belly button high water makes your hamstring your sacroiliac joint your coccyx weightless there's less stress on it and yet the resistance in the pool is magical. You'll do it gently, but you will see, you give it a month or two, this absolutely will start to get better. I don't want anybody sh shooting you with cortisone, stem cells, synvisc, no needles into this area, but you get into the water, at, not land-based physical therapy, but aquatic therapy. And James, I promise you, you'll start to turn the corner. If you don't, then you're going to let me know. What is it now? The middle end of September, October. If December comes and you're not better, then I need to talk to you. All right? Very good. Thank you, doctor. I really appreciate it.
You're welcome, young man. Listen, you're a total stranger. I never met you. You know how you can thank me today? I want you to find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Very good. Take care. All right. All right. God bless you, James. All right, Warriors, we'll take a break. We'll pay some bills. Wow, this went fast. How did an hour and 45 minutes go by so fast, Steve Paulette? Coming up next, we're going to talk a little bit about food, and I'm going to take you into surgery. Maybe I'll take some calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Get the coconut telephone. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior show with Dr. Clapper. I'm the Kobe Bryant of teeth brushing. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Like I don't care, baby, by the way. Because I'm happy. The great Pharrell Williams. Notice how he's not saying, laugh along, sing along. He's saying, clap along. And hearing Kobe Bryant's voice and hearing Pharrell after a Laker victory and a Clippers choke, life is good in Los Angeles. Dr. Clapper. Mm-mm-mm. Miss you, Kobe. But this season is dedicated to you. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Robert Clapper. Let me know what you think of the show. That's the feedback that I love to get. Let me tell you. Well, let's take a call. I don't want to ignore the Weekend Warrior Clinic. Let's go to Steve. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help? Yeah. Hey, Dr. Clapper. Okay. I'm using this product called Coalogen. Wait a minute. How old are you? What do you do for a living? Okay, sure. I'm 64, okay? Um, I work. That's what I do for a living. I, I'm in constant motion. <laughs> You're like a shark. In order to breathe, you got to be moving. Right, right. I'm, I'm in constant motion, um, and I'm using this product, Doc. It's called Coalogen Hydro, Hydrolysate for connective tissues. Good, good like for a, you. Yeah. What, what is your opinion about that product? Can you imagine what I'm going to tell you right now about this anti-aging, live-forever product. Can you imagine what I'm going to tell you? I'm, I'm ready. Bring it Do on. you listen to this show? Oh, yeah. Do you think I'm going to tell you that you're going to put a shampoo on your head and all your hair is going to come back? Do you think no. I'm going to tell you that? Do you no, think sir. a pill or a shot is going to make all your troubles go away? Listen, no, sir. if you come to me with a bad cough, you're going to have plenty of doctors who say, hey, Steve, try this Robitussin. You're going to feel great. Your cough will go away, and I'm going to be there in the corner like LeBron James at one of those press conferences for Frank Vogel with my arms crossed, not saying a word, pretty much going, hey, Steve, come over here. You need antibiotics to stop coughing because you got pneumonia. Robitussin will make you stop coughing, but that's not solving the problem. So I don't care what the name of the thing you have. God bless these folks. But the reality is, is you just told me what a hard worker you are. You know how important it is to put the time in, put the work in. You and I, the ending's going to be the same. We ain't going to live forever. I need you to enjoy every single moment of every minute you got that you're alive and you're healthy. If you think eating something like that is going to make a difference, have a balanced diet, plenty of vitamin C in your diet, laugh a lot, take care of total strangers. That's what you can do to enhance your life. That's what I want you to put in a bottle, not some... Fakakta 
liquid that they're going to tell you is going to make you live forever. So oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me debate you on something. Look, good, as, go as, ahead. As we, as we age, as we age, the parts are breaking down. Tissue. Every l- one ligaments. of them is breaking down. You're right. Tissues, ligaments, cartilage. Yes. So this world is built on marketing. Everyone's marketing something, okay? Everyone's marketing something to make you feel better, Doc, okay? Okay. And so, you know, if you can hold on to false hope, then sometimes you go with that, all right? And I don't mind hope. I love hope. Hope is the greatest thing in the world, Steve. But you know what's the worst thing in the world? What's living right next to hope, and that's false hope. So for you to pray on people that are desperate, people that, you know, whatever disease they have, come over here, take this drink, and you're going to be all better. When you know that they're not, we're surrounded by those people. You know what they're called? Scoundrels. That's, who, that's what I mind. And I don't know this product from a hole in the wall, so I'm not really picking on them. I'm just picking on the idea that people are not like you who don't see the value in work, in the time you put in. That's what it's really all about. In life, you want two things, Stephen. You want a purpose and you want a passion. But I don't want false purpose and I don't want false passion. Don't tell me you love me if you don't. You know what I mean? And if you do love me, you almost don't even need to say it. But it is nice to hear it. But I don't want to hear false hope. And unfortunately, that's what we're surrounded by. So all I can say to you, my advice to you is, gig isn't a hake. Go ahead and take it. Be careful. Because, Stephen, I've been a doctor. I've been in practice for 31 years as an orthopedic surgeon. The one thing I want you to always ask, is there a side effect? And when they say there's no side effects, run as fast as you can. And with that in mind, I leave you with volare, which means I'm singing and I'm flying. Until next week, I'll see you on the radio. Oh